Welcome to the Different People Podcast, where we explore inclusion, diversity, and belonging in conversations about the often untold experiences of different people. These conversations are candid, spontaneous, and can sometimes be difficult. Yet they are necessary and critical to the healthy functioning of communities, organizations, and society as a whole. My name is Lisa Schmidt. I'm a leadership coach, a senior consultant in organizational development, and a professional speaker. And my name is Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. I'm a clinical and consulting psychologist, an expert in diversity and inclusion, executive coach, and a professional speaker as well. And we are your hosts. So, Raymond, let's start a conversation. Yeah, let's have a conversation. Listen, I was just uh, reading something really interesting, and um, I wanted to start there because it really struck me. There's a piece recently in the Globe and Mail about the lack of a seen and known history of Muslim women. And there's this researcher, his name is Mohammed Akram Nadwi. He's the dean of the Cambridge Islamic College in the UK. And he started this study, or he, well, he did some research, where he wanted to figure out who were the strong movers and shakers in terms of women in the history of Islam. And he thought he would find 20 or 30. And in fact, after several years of doing his research, 20 years, he has a list of 10,000 women mm-hmm. who have had a serious impact on science, on different fields of knowledge over periods of centuries. What he thought would be one slim volume, he now has a 400-page preface to all the information that he's been able to gather. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to start with this because what I understand or see of Muslim women in contemporary media doesn't seem to resonate with the history that this particular scholar is unearthed. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I actually think it speaks to the purpose of this podcast, because, you know, interestingly enough, like having grown up Muslim, having been educated about our history and our background, that's not surprising to me. You know, the fact that women were a large part of our development, of our society, of our education, that's well known. It doesn't phase me at all, but it would phase the average person. And I think the reason for that is basically because the stories of Muslims aren't told. You don't get that perspective. What you do get is a biased perspective. And that's typically the case when we speak with people of marginalized communities, people of color, people from religious or ethnic or cultural communities who are not a part of the majority, or even if they are a part of the majority, are just simply not represented. What happens then is it shifts the thinking of society as a whole, because our thinking as individuals of society, including, and the research was including people from those smaller communities, those smaller cultural minority communities, tend to get influenced by the negative stereotypes mm-hmm. that we hold. Mm-hmm. And stereotypes, stereotypes are not often just a negative representation of people, but they're the absence of something positive. And that's a really important thing for us to be mindful of. That, to me, is the essence of why we're doing this podcast, to be able to relay the voice and the experiences of different people. Yeah. And, you know, you and I uh, have had many conversations about why we wanted to start this podcast. And one of the things that I know has been really of interest and of note to me, it's around how often or how many times I ask you questions about Friday prayer, why that's different from prayer during other times of the week. What is halal? Because as I once said to you, I thought it meant eating really healthy. And I've learned that it's not necessarily about an absence of cake. And 
you know, I, I even think once I asked you, like you swore and I thought, are Muslims, are Muslims allowed to swear? I have these, these ideas that I can't even tell you where they came from, mm-hmm. but um, I asked you a lot of questions because I'm, I'm curious and I'm keen to understand. And I noticed at one point that you were asking me as many questions yeah. and it dawned on me that maybe part of the reason for that was that you live in this culture that is primarily non-Muslim mm. and there's things that you've learned and absorbed about culture that we live in here in Canada that you don't have to ask questions about because you've experienced it your whole life versus for me, I've had virtually zero experience of having conversations with Muslims. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it is my culture, right? The Canadian culture is my culture. And that's a thing. And I think, again, it speaks to the sense of this push for people to simply accept and understand uh, a culture and a way of living and adopt it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We adopt that culture and that value without the other side understanding anything about the other side of that coin. Right. And so as a, as a society, you know, I think about two sides of a coin. Can you imagine living your life having only seen one side of a coin? It's kind of ridiculous. It's a gold coin and I can spend it. <laughs> right. But yeah, exactly. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. But, but you don't see it's the side so that speed. actually, exactly. yeah. but you don't see the side that actually has the value of what that coin is. Right. So you have this coin and you're just giving away these gold coins, not understanding what the value of each one of those is. And the other side of that coin is the other side of society, you know, other people, different people, the ones we don't get to know. And we're missing out on a lot of information when we don't have these kinds of conversations. And sometimes people feel really afraid to have those conversations. And that's, that's actually why I was really happy to do this podcast with you because we have those difficult conversations right. and they're not antagonistic. They're not difficult and they don't have to be. Right. And most people feel like the moment they ask those questions, they feel like it's antagonistic. They feel like it's difficult. They, it's anxiety provoking and they don't have to be. Yeah. And I'd like to be able to have those kinds of conversations with you and me and with our guests to be able to help people and for those who can't have those conversations, for them to actually have the information that they need. Right. And for those who want to have those conversations, for them to understand that they can happen. And it's not about offending people. The problem that we run into is when we make assumptions. You talked about, you know, the article about Muslim women who had an influence on society there. Well, there's an assumption. The assumption there is that Muslim women are suppressed. They're not a part of society or Muslim society in those cultures or even in Canadian culture. And that somehow they need to be kind of stood up for and that. And they do. I think Muslim or women everywhere need to be stood up for. But but they don't always need saving. They're often doing they're often the ones doing the saving. Right. And we need to keep that in mind. And we have a stereotype in our views, in our perspectives and the way that we think when we don't understand the full side of the story. And so when you do get that other side of the story, that changes your thinking and you see the other side of that coin. And that is a very important thing. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of fills in or it replaces the, the things that you've somehow absorbed and believed to be true with actual real information and real stories. Yeah. Um, And it creates a sense of equity and equity is not just about standing up for the minority, right? Lisa, like you and I have both learned so much from each other, but when people, when they miss information about people, it's not just that the people that they miss information about are disenfranchised. It's that the people who don't have that information, they're missing a big part about the world. And who wouldn't, who would want to miss that amount of the world? And we won't get there unless we're actually able to talk about these kinds of conversations. Yeah. 
So Raymond, we, we bantered back and forth about what we wanted to call our podcast and we ended up calling it different people. Yeah. And I, I want to really dive into that word different. And so my question, I want to ask you a question. And the question is this, when was, and you can answer this one of two ways. When was either the first time you were made to feel that you were different or when is the most recent time you were made to feel that you were different? I'm an immigrant. I moved to Canada when I was seven. I was really excited to be here. I knew I wasn't from here, but I didn't realize that I needed to feel different just because I wasn't born in Canada. And I think the first time I was made to feel different was in a grade three class. And it's kind of a funny story. There's one of the girls in class who had carried around lilacs and was sniffing them the entire time. And at the time, like I didn't like the smell of lilacs for some reason, like, and she kept sniffing it and shoving in people's faces. I asked the teacher, you know, could you please ask her to put those away? And the behavior of that girl, although, you know, sweet and charming was not appropriate in the classic putting those flowers on other people's faces wasn't always the best thing. It was interrupting, but instead of asking the girl to put them away or tell me politely that it was okay, the teacher said, Raymond, how dare you? That's our provincial flower. The interesting thing is a lilac is not Manitoba's provincial flower. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I found that out much, much later, but I, I felt a great deal of shame that she had made this immigrant kid feel like he didn't understand the importance of that particular flower. I think that's the first memory that I have of remembering feeling different. No, actually, that's not true. I also remember feeling different. And it's interesting because these difficulties don't just exist here in North America or in the Western world, but across uh, the world as colonialization is a really big problem. I remember when I was a kid in Tanzania, where I was part of the majority culture. So I definitely had representation, but there was because of colonization, a real presence or importance put on being British, that if you were British, you were better. And I remember often thinking that I was not as important, not as attractive, just less valued because I wasn't British. And I remember looking at a lot of the storybooks as, as a kid and recognizing all these kids with like rosy cheeks in the snow. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of color, I'm brown. And I remember really wanting to have rosy cheeks. And when we first moved to Canada, I was excited because I thought finally... I'd be able to have rosy cheeks. And so that sense of that sense of being different, it's really important. I think people of color, when you're or when you're in a marginalized group, that sense of being different is always there. We don't always recognize it because we've we've kind of been born into that. You're always in some ways compared to people who are white. And so I say you're born into it. And uh, I'll point to my kid who often will talk about you know, wanting to change his name to something easier. Although his name is very simple. First thing he said to me when he was about this was when he was almost three, he said he didn't want to be a Muslim anymore. And that was because Paw Patrol doesn't celebrate Christmas. And so he recognized that he wasn't represented. Now, the interesting thing is you get used to this and it becomes a part of your existence and it becomes a part of your experience. And so, you know, the latter part of the question is when have I most recently felt different? And I will sometimes forget that I'm different. I, I see myself as Canadian. I engage with society. I see myself as having a purpose. I don't see myself as different. However, every about week or every two weeks, I'm made to feel different. Like somebody points out 
you know, there's some form of microaggression or some bit of racism on a regular basis where somebody points out that you're not the same. And as much as I have built up a sense of privilege in my education and my involvement in society, you know, there's like a tinge, like a bitterness that sets in that somebody makes you realize that you're not from here. Even though I am, I wasn't born here, but I consider Canada my country. I'm very much a Winnipegger. And so I would say I almost forget when the most recent thing is, it's just because they happen so frequently. And most people of color will tell you that it happens on a regular basis. So give me an example. What is something that you would consider a microaggression? Let's see, for example, and it's important to recognize that microaggressions, they don't often come from a bad place. Like people aren't intending to put people out. Oh, I know. I have one. I have one that you told me about. Yeah. Where are you really from? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the entirety of my TED talk. (laughs) So that's a common thing. Where are you from? Where are you really from? That's a common thing. But but simple things like my, my name. There are people who I understand cannot pronounce things, but there's people who just won't make the effort. So Abdurrahman is my last name. And I remember uh, a client or a patient calling to set up an appointment and left a voicemail and said, can I speak with doctor or doctor, uh, doctor, whatever, you know, that's one example. And, I, and these things happen on a regular basis, but to be frank, I just, they happen so frequently that you just kind of pass them by because one has to choose their battles. And most people would not think to change their behavior Sit now, I'm not calling out people to say, hey, you all got to try to say my name 100% every time. Make an effort. I think it's important. And I think that's what most people want is the effort being made. But I think the point here is that if people hear the experiences of different people, people who are different than who they are, they can have some sense of empathy and insight into their own behavior and how it may make other people feel. And it doesn't mean you have to have things perfect, but you do have to acknowledge your intention. And you do have to understand that you are going to make errors and you need to identify those errors and you can't make those assumptions. It's those assumptions that will get you into trouble because that's when people will think that you're purposely being racist. When you've made an assumption or appear to have made an assumption without clarifying that I apologize, I might be making an assumption here, but could you help me understand? And it's that attempt to clarify that. I think that changes the tone of the conversation 100% of the time. And the thing that you just said about people not pronouncing your name, yesterday I took an Uber to a friend's, um, I was having an event. And when you order Uber, it shows the name of the driver and the license plate of the car. And so I always make a point when I get in the car to say hello with the person's name. And so I say hello to the driver and um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think his name was, or what I said was Chidudi or Chinuni. It was something like that. And I said, have I pronounced it correctly? And he says, oh, you're close enough. And, uh, and I said, no, no. I said, teach me how to say your name. And we got talking and he's Nigerian. And, uh, and I said, so, you know, on a given like daily basis or, uh, how many people in your life who you talk to people, you pick up, say your name correctly. He says only my friends and family. Yeah. And I thought two things. One is people are not making an effort to say people's names correctly. But two, I think he was just worn out or tired or just, it just was not worth the effort to teach people how to say his name. And that kind of made me a bit sad. Yeah. Um, You know, I've never had somebody not understand after I've said my name, what my name is. It's, you know, it's a pretty westernized name. It's Lisa. But I have had experience with my last name being judged by people. So my last name is Schmidt. It's a German name. My parents are uh, from Germany. That's where they were born. 
And I grew up in Quebec uh, in a couple of different places, uh, some urban and some quite small towns. And I would constantly get the question about, uh, so, oh, where are you from? Because in Quebec, there's this concept of what people call pure laine, which is that you're, the literal translation is pure wool, that you are from here and you have a French Canadian sounding name. And there's like, it's, you know, it's called the patrimoine, right? It's this sort of, this idea that there is a collectivity of names that are easily identifiable as French Canadian. So growing up in Quebec with the last name Schmidt, I was often asked where I was from. Of course, I'm from Canada. It's where I was born. But then the other thing was, oh, Schmidt is a German name. And either one of two questions came after that. One was, are you from East or West Germany? So as you can imagine, this was before the wall. And if that question was asked, there was a a wondering if I was actually telling the truth. Mm. Because if you were from East Germany, that wasn't good. Mm. The other more alarming question that was asked of me is, were your parents Nazis? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that followed me uh, mm. up until my teen years. I remember being quite young. So I asked you a question a moment ago. When did you realize you were different? Yeah. I realized I was different at a fairly young age Mm-hmm. because of having a German background growing up in Quebec, yeah. because of people's reaction to my family name. Yeah. And, you know, my father, uh, he simplified his name because, you know, again, you were talking about is a name easy or difficult to pronounce. His name, uh, his given name is Johann Jürgen, uh, but he went as John because yeah. it was simpler to change his name than to constantly tell people what his name was. And what's really interesting is a lot of German men, when they came to Canada, simplified their names either to John or to Jack. And I have both in my family. Mm-hmm. And there's an erasing of who you are that comes with changing your name. An you erasing of identity. There are millions of examples of this, right? Whether it's yeah. Pier 21 in Halifax or Ellis Island uh, in the United States, yeah. where people's names are changed either by their own choice or that the way that they're written down in a ledger, because mm-hmm. who they are and whether the name is Polish sounding or Polish or Lithuanian, German, etc., is not, I guess, deserving of being learned and understood, but needs to be made simple so that other people can say it. Yeah. And that, that wearing out that you were talking about, uh, that you worried about that uh, cab driver or the Uber driver, that was not just that night. There's a wearing out that you feel throughout your life. Your father is why he changed his name. You know, your Uber driver, uh, me, it is just easier because there's too much of an effort made because, and this is, this is where the onus can't just be on people of color or uh, people from a minority. It has to be on the majority. If it's just on the minority, they face too many barriers to be able to break, to make a change, but allies make a change. Allies are able to actually make shifts much faster, right? So I'm on a radio show on a regular basis uh, with Chorus Media. And I got to tell you, the f- there's a gentleman there by the name of Brett McGarry. And, and as much as people have been polite, this is the first individual who went to great lengths. To ch- he was so embarrassed that he didn't say my name properly. And look, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. 
he went and he pronounces Abdurrahman like he was born an Arab. And it wasn't that hard. And he said it was actually much easier than he thought. And once he got past that worry, he was actually able to do it. Uh, Schmidt, you know, has got uh, several consonants in a row. And yet we all, it's a fairly common name that we all understand how to say it. It's not right? And yet we would do that to names that we were less familiar with. And if you think about how awkward and difficult and insulting that sounded, can you imagine like one fifth of our population having to bear that difficulty so much so that they changed their name to a more English sounding name? There's a, there's a wearing out. I mean, we know that research even shows that employers are incredibly more likely to hire people with a quote unquote Western sounding name. And so it's shortened. That is a sad wearing away of identity. And if we don't understand the impact that it has on other people, we just don't make the change for your father, for your Uber driver, for you, for me, it sticks with people. Yeah. Okay. So Lisa, I want to ask you a question and it might be a bit uncomfortable. I frankly, I feel a little bit uncomfortable asking you, but like, I know my reasons for why I asked you to be on this podcast. How do you, as a white woman, feel about being on a podcast about diversity and inclusion? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I don't feel uncomfortable for you having asked it or to attempt an answer at it. What I've noticed when people talk about diversity and inclusion, for me, there's a piece missing and it's belonging. The thing that I find myself challenged by when people talk about DNI and i is diversity, diversity for me is just a fact. Like there's diversity everywhere. Plants, people, you know, cars we drive, you know, even our wardrobe, you know, we don't wear the same thing every single day or maybe some of us do. But diversity is just a fact of life. Inclusion to me still has an element of power over it because somebody includes the other person, mm. right? You're outside and out of the goodness of my heart or out of, you know, because I uh, have some greater awareness of myself and my previous behavior that wasn't particularly inclusive, I now am willing to include you. Organizations, I'm going to include, we're going to interview more people who look different and sound different. These are all good and important things, but they still imply, to my view, a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really interested in, uh, in my work and in my life is more a sense of belonging, that nobody needs to be included in anything because we're already here. We belong to the world that we live in. And it's been really important to me in my personal life to really get an understanding and grasp of this. But also, I mean, I work in organizations. I'm a coach. I work in leadership. and there seem to be so many obstacles to people having a sense of belonging in places that have chosen them. So I'll just give an example. You apply for a job, you go through an interview process, you are picked, right? You somehow meet the criteria, whether it's your skill set or you fit in with the culture of an organization, but there's still a selection process. Fine. You end up in the workplace and you would think that because you've gone through this process that you now belong. You belong to what this organization is trying to do and that your contribution is not only welcome, it's, it's, it's necessary. You're now a sense that you're a part of it. And yet I work in organizations where people don't feel that they belong, whether it's the hierarchy, whether it's because they have a different name or speak with an accent. The sense of belonging is not there. 
even though in a way there's a sense of, okay, I jumped through all the hoops, you picked me, uh, I'm here. And yet the lived experience is not one of belonging. It continues to be one of feeling like an outsider. You know, I, I, this is where I feel a little bit, I wouldn't say uncomfortable, but I'm in a bit of an uncharted territory because I have many privileges by virtue of being white. And one of them is that I don't have to think about these things. I don't have to. I can live my whole life and not have to think about diversity, inclusion, and belonging. I need to make an effort to do it. I have to be, invite myself to be curious. And what I'm really interested in in, in this podcast is inviting people into this curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. We, I mean, we, sh- we all share the planet. And, you know, I mean, I'll just say one other thing. Um, I find it interesting. There are these semi-alarmist articles I've seen in, you know, well-known newspapers. I can't remember which ones they are, but the ones I primarily read are the New York Times and Washington Post, The Guardian, BBC, CBC, of course. And there's these statistics about by year X, you know, whether it's Canada or the United States is going to be less than 50% white. And I don't actually get why that's a story personally. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, wanting to have these conversations, I sometimes need help understanding why we make such a big deal to have inclusive workplaces and to allow people to be who they are. Um, Because again, who's allowing who to be what? Like it's just a power dynamic that I find often troubling. And that's the conversations that I think are really important for all of us to be having. One of the things I really like about you, Lisa, is the ability to be vulnerable, the ability to be able to accept when you don't know, your inquisitiveness, your ability to learn, and to be able to have these really difficult conversations. And you and I have had so many of these and remain friends. That's a really important piece. And I think it's what keeps us friends, right? I think it's what made us friends. I think it's what keeps us friends. Mm-hmm. This is the ability to have these ongoing conversations. And these aren't conversations that we're having in everyday society. These aren't conversations that we are having in organizations. There's a great deal of anxiety around having these conversations. And I think that anxiety increases when you don't have a, a friendship basis, right? Because you don't right. know what you can, you can't say. But, but we didn't start off as friends. Actually, we started off working together. Correct. You know, it wasn't that we met somewhere and we hit it off as friends. No, we were working together and actually a couple of different organizations. To me, what, what I liked about you is your ability to have these conversations. It's also really critically important that this podcast does not just target people of color, but it also needs to target people from a majority population as well, too. And we need to be able to build these bridges and if we don't build these bridges of understanding, uh, these psychological bridges of un- having, a, having a sense of empathy, then vulnerability means nothing. Right. right? And that's, that's critically why we need to be having these discussions, you know, across the board uh, with different people. Yeah. And therefore, it makes sense that the two hosts for this podcast are very different people. Right. We'd like to thank you for listening to this conversation. What we're hoping that we can share with listeners is that these conversations might be uncomfortable. We know they're necessary, but they're also possible. That when you're willing to step in and ask a question and be willing to learn and be curious, you can learn a lot, learn a lot, excuse me, about another person, another culture, and really a lot about yourself. 
we conceived of this Different People podcast as a storytelling vehicle because we want to build awareness and insight into common differences and similarities, as we just discussed. Having a different background is a strength and something that's worth exploring and celebrating. And we really hope that through this podcast, we can share some stories, we can talk about difficult things, and ultimately we can have an impact on not just who we are in our relationships, but how other people in the world feel in relation with and to us. I'm very much looking forward to this podcast. Thank you all for tuning in to our very first episode. Stay tuned for our second episode coming soon and uh, like and follow us on social media. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast or know somebody who'd be a very interesting individual to to have a conversation with, please be in touch with us. You can reach us through our social media presence and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you for spending time with us. To learn more about our work and listen to other episodes, please visit differentpeople.ca. Post-production services provided by jonathanlay.net and thanks to Blue Eye Music for our music theme. You can reach us all through the contact information in the show notes and new episodes of the Different People podcast are uploaded regularly to Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Please join us again. And until soon.